Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. It's James Rudd here, the Digital Media Editor at Heart. It's another guest appearance by Dr. Andrew Perry today. Andrew discusses Enoka and Minoka with Dr. Barry Mertz at the American College of Cardiology Scientific Sessions in March 2023. They have a good discussion all about the diagnosis and management of these two conditions. I hope you enjoy the show and please do leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us to reach a wider audience. Thanks very much. Dr. Barry Mertz, I'm very privileged to be able to speak with you uh, regarding your talk at the American College of Cardiology 2023 sessions, uh, where you're speaking about the management of Inoka and Minoka. So thank you for being with me. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the attention to this important topic. First off, just so that all of our listeners are on the same page, what is Inoka and what is Minoka? And maybe I'm pronouncing those differently. Maybe people in the field uh, pronounce those differently. So feel free to correct me. Yeah, no, you did a great job in the English language. We say Inoka and Minoka. Inoka stands for ischemia with no obstructed coronary artery disease. Minoka is myocardial infarction uh, with no obstructive coronary disease. Uh, these have springboarded terms uh, coming mostly from a consensus paper we published uh, in circulation uh, four to five years ago now to address the increasing prevalence and recognition of these two conditions. Inoka then is uh, defined as signs or symptoms of myocardial ischemia with no obstructive coronary disease. Minoka, of course, would be that you actually qualified as having uh, a myocardial infarction according to the World Health Organization definitions. Uh, and it, but it can be different types of acute myocardial infarction, but again, in the absence of obstructive coronary disease. Okay. How common are Inoka and Minoka? This is a great question, and we don't have uh, the rigorous epidemiology that we would need uh, to accurately assess signs and symptoms of ischemia for the INOCA prevalence. That said, if you look, for example, at um, a cath lab registry, uh, so let's say the VA CART, which is uh, uh, and nicely published by Dr. Maddox and colleagues. Uh, every single angiogram done at any Veterans Administration hospital across the U.S., dominantly men, uh, you will see that the prevalence of INOCA, if you want to define it as a clinical interventional cardiologist, took the time to schedule and do a coronary angiogram for suspected obstructive coronary disease, uh, the prevalence is about 50%. Now, this includes no disease, no evident disease, no luminal irregularities, all the way up to non-obstructed disease, and you can pick either a threshold of uh, 50% luminal stenosis or even up to 70%. Uh, depending on you know how you want to slice and dice it, it's about 50%. So while this has come of age because of the women's ischemia syndrome evaluation, as well as many other studies looking at um, gender and sex-specific ischemic heart disease, uh, it's pretty alarming that this is at that high in men in the VA. Mm -hmm. 
The prevalence of MINOCA is probably a little better understood because, again, we have that uh, WHO definition of acute myocardial infarction. Uh, and it does look like in uh, women, uh, it's at least 10%, possibly even as high as 15 or 20%, depending on the data set that you look at, less common in men, under 10% uh, in our prevalent studies. Interesting. Yeah. As I was doing some background reading for this, I was getting the sense that it could be that INOCA may be more prevalent than in, you know, ischemia from obstructive coronary disease. And then I think as you highlighted, there are definitely, uh, you know, sex or gender differences there. I think you're right. And, um, it, it just depends on the definitions. Um, there's a lot of chest pain in the world. That's not ischemia, right? So that's sort of one of the, one of the challenges in INOCA. Mm -hmm. And as you were discussing that you highlighted that there could be some barriers towards some of these diagnoses, like, like in your comment, you know, if somebody takes the time to actually schedule an angiogram to investigate for this, I mean, just broadly speaking, what are the barriers to diagnosing someone with these conditions? So this is another great question. Uh, what you would like everyone to do is what Dr. Harmony Reynolds has done in her um, uh, HARP study, where in the setting of a MINOCA, meaning up in the cath lab, because the patient qualified as having an acute myocardial infarction, you do um, intravascular ultrasound OCT. And in Germany, they do functional testing, coronary functional testing with adenosine and acetylcholine. Uh, and uh, this is also done extensively in Japan, even in the acute phase. Um, and my Japanese colleagues say that um, if you allow a patient with open arteries in the setting of a heart attack to leave the cath lab and not do those studies, you have left with a failure to diagnose the root cause. Um, so, but that's a barrier in the US. It's not standard of care, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're getting a little bit better about doing cardiac MRIs in the MINOCA setting, looking for myocarditis. I think that, that um, the COVID epidemic has sort of called attention to the utility of uh, resting, easy to do cardiac MRI for myocarditis. I think we're seeing more of that being less of a barrier. Um, the INOCA barriers are still pretty much there back to do you call um, an abnormal stress echo uh, in the setting of a leftward axis deviation? And was that really an abnormal wall motion or um, just an artifact? Same thing with SPECT. We still do see some motion artifacts, even though we have pretty good uh, quantitative analyses. Um, there's a lot of chest pain out there that's not really angina. We know that from the silent ischemia uh, era of the 1980s. Uh, lots of people have chest pain and there's no ST segment depression. We also know that there's a lot of ST segment depression without chest pain, and that's called silent ischemia. So there's lots of barriers and it takes, I think, an astute clinician um, in the INOCA setting to, uh, you know, use their best judgment about risk, risk assessment, uh, as well as the burden of chest pain. That's the biggest problem with INOCA. Um, these patients go crazy because nobody believes they're really having chest pain. And I think it takes, a, you know, an active interventional cardiologist as well as a good bedside thinking cardiologist to get to the root of MINOCAs. Again, uh, Leslie Shaw has taught me for years, 
a failure to make a diagnosis will lead you to therapeutic uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. So then patients don't get treated. Beautifully stated. And as you're describing this, it, it seems that INOCA and MINOCA are, I'd call it an umbrella term, or maybe you could also use the word syndrome and that there are, you know, more specific diagnoses that we may use upon further investigation. What are some of those more specific diagnoses that we might be looking for with those additional testing that you've described? Great attention to this point. And, you know, as a point of reference, these two terms are being considered uh, as new ICD-10 diagnostic codes. Uh, And I must say, on the one hand, I support that because it will call attention that these are realistic things. These are not false positive problems. On the other hand, as you elaborate, they're umbrella terms, um, sometimes called trash bag terms, because they aren't specific. So, of course, you know, INOCA will include people that have non-cardiac chest pain. Um, You know, people at peak exercise that have, you know, a little bit of ST segment change, no other symptoms, their treadmill score is low risk. Do they really have INOCA? You know, need to do more more, uh, imaging or, uh, you know, more sophisticated testing. Ditto with MINOCA. And again, because of Dr. Harmony's careful studies, as well as others, Uh, We now know that uh, a little bit over half will actually be ischemic heart disease related to plaque, plaque erosions, plaque rupture. Uh, There's that tiny amount of SCAD, spontaneous coronary artery dissection. Um, There are uh, cases for sure of myocarditis. And then she had, uh, you know, some cases over 10% that weren't really adjudicated for any good reason. There wasn't any root cause. So that's always good for us as investigators. More work is needed. Mm -hmm. And with those specific diagnoses and these kind of umbrella terms uh, that we've been describing, as we start to think about managing these patients, are there general principles or general, um, you know, therapeutic strategies that are beneficial to all patients, regardless of the, you know, the subtype of INOCA or MINOCA that you have? And then beyond that, are there there's probably also cause specific or, you know, underlying cause specific etiologies or therapeutics that may be beneficial. That's exactly right. So we can flip it and start with MINOCA because again, we pretty much know how to treat uh, AMIs of uh, atherosclerotic vascular disease origin. So if they've had a plaque rupture in the setting of non-obstructive disease, but it has traveled distally and they have quote, leaked troponin with a rise and fall, uh, we know how to treat that. That's called guidelines-directed optimal medical therapy. Um, And so in the over half of those MINOCA patients that that diagnosis can be made, then effective therapies can, can be deployed. Similar myocarditis is a different treatment strategy. SCAD, we usually don't give them statins, and there's a bit of a debate about whether or not they should be on uh, low-dose aspirin or, or other antithrombotics. So the MINOCA, I think, is reasonably clear, although we need to continue to research those unidentified uh, subjects. INOCA, that's, that's the challenge. And the majority of patients in our uh, original WISE publications had non-obstructed atherosclerotic plaque, uh, well over 80%. Um, And so uh, we did several pharmacologic probe trials as well, testing uh, things that we had on the shelf to repurpose 
uh, for um, vascular dysfunction called coronary microvascular dysfunction. Uh, and we're in the midst of the large warrior trial enrolling 4,422 women, randomized to guidelines directed optimal medical therapy, uh, which is maximally tolerated ACE or ARB, as well as a high intensity statin and low dose aspirin versus usual care. Uh, we are halfway through the trial. Um, we've continued to recruit uh, despite the pandemic uh, and hope that we'll have an answer uh, about whether or not something just practical like that um, could uh, improve uh, not only adverse events, which is the primary outcome, but hospitalizations uh, as well as um, Seattle Angina questionnaire scores. So um, invite me back in a couple of years and I'll have that for you. The uh, Swedes, I'll just conclude, the Swedes had a Minoka bat trial uh, where they were randomizing them to a beta blocker and I think statins. They unfortunately, according to www.clinicaltrials.gov, um, they've stopped, uh, I think because of the pandemic, they were not able to enroll. Um, so we won't maybe have that trial soon. Um, but those are ongoing investigations that we anticipate will help uh, clinicians figure out what to do with these patients. Okay. Yeah, I'm interested about the a warrior trial, but also what other trials may be ongoing that we can look forward to as well. I'm not really aware of any other trials in Inoka and Minoka. And um, I have followed the Swedish trial and unfortunately in preparing for this ACC scientific sessions saw that it was stopped, um, which is disappointing. Although many, many trials uh, were stopped due to, you know, just the inability to enroll subjects in the pandemic. It's a real problem we will suffer with uh, probably for decades. Uh, so I'm not aware of any other MACE trials there are other pharmacologic probe trials. So for example, um, Dr. Colin Berry in Scotland um, is currently doing a, um, a novel therapeutic agent uh, going after endothelial function. Uh, we likely will be doing future pharmacologic probe trials. These are um, you know, basically aimed at uh, understanding the mechanisms. And if you get a hit, as we did with our ACE inhibitor trial, Quinepril, who knew it was anti-anginal, who knew that it improved microvascular function. Mm -hmm. When you get a hit in the pharmacologic probe area, then you can move on to a larger outcome trial. Got it. Great. Well, yeah, we'll have to get you back in a couple of years to talk about Warrior when that's all finished. It would be my pleasure. Well, yeah, thank you again. This has been a great uh, a whirlwind, a tour de force, they say, um, and look forward to uh, hearing more about the great work that you're doing. Thank you.